Welcome to the Go-To-Market Mindset with Michael Gordon, where we talk about all things related to sales, business development, and personal growth. If it's about high performance, we want to take a deep dive into that. And to do that, we'll be talking with some of the sharpest minds in all the land. But don't get too comfortable because we're going to be getting you out of your comfort zone. The Go-To-Market Mindset is brought to you by Sandler Training in Calabasas and me, Michael Gordon. We work with growth-minded companies that know sales is never about price and believe that salespeople have rights. For more information, visit gordon.sandler.com. All right, welcome to the show. I'm here with Kevin KG Gaither, the godfather of sales, former SVP of sales at ZipRecruiter, and now the current chief sales officer at Upkeep, Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm excited to chat with you today. Yeah, thanks for being here. Kevin, maybe take a, a second and tell the folks out there. I know you've had some exciting changes recently. What's, uh, you know, give us a 10 or 20 second commercial about what's going on with you. We're talking winter, fall 20, 2020, and a lot of changes in our in our lives, generally speaking. But uh, I am currently uh, starting a new this new gig as the chief sales officer at Upkeep Technologies here in Los Angeles, a, a fun, fast-growing uh, SaaS business that uh, I'm excited to go in and, and help build, fix, and, and grow and continue on the success that the CEO, Ryan Chan, has been, uh, has been creating for the, for the last, uh, last five years. So big, big change leaving the rocket ship of ZipRecruiter and, uh, and going to another rocket ship, and hopefully we'll see the same results. Very cool. And Kevin, I think if history is any indicator that you, you're, you can probably expect to see some pretty amazing results. I appreciate the, the tip of the cap. Thanks, Mike. Absolutely. So, you know, as you mentioned, uh, build, fix, grow, that's kind of what you're known for. And if you look at your LinkedIn and some of the recommendations that I see, people call you the godfather of sales. So I wanted to talk about that today, make that the subject of kind of our conversation, build, fix, and grow, which you have, a, again, a great track record of, and almost 100 recommendations from people on LinkedIn, which is amazing. So you know, let's take a look. If we were to think about the grow component, what are some of the non-negotiables you're looking for when bringing on new sales hires to an organization? Look, growth is hard, Mike, really hard. And it's hard because there's significant amounts of uh, of change. And when I create the benchmarks against which we hire sales leaders, as well as individual contributor quota carrying uh, salespeople, two of the main components that we're looking for is uh, coachability and uh, change management, you know, dealing, dealing with change. And the, these always end up being these behavioral-based questions. You know, tell me about a time when there was a change in your compensation plan, or tell me about a time when there was a change in territories, what, you know, what happened, or tell me about a time when, uh, you know, when you got blasted on a sales call and your manager gave you feedback, what did you do? You know, what did you do next? You know, these, if a sales rep or a sales manager cannot be coachable and cannot deal with change, this is non-negotiable for me. They will not survive in an environment where things change all the time. Um, uh, you know, you, you, you yearn for the, you yearn for the, the, the compensation plan of past 
and then we ch and we change it and that's a problem for you and then we change it again and you're yearning for the compensation plan that we changed to uh, you know a, a year ago you know these are the kinds of things that are just intolerable when we're growing a uh, growing a sales team we have to be dealing with people that are uh, amenable to change and amenable to be coachable one of my absolute favorite salespeople that I will not name on this call because somebody <laughs> will go recruit him before me. Uh, he said to me, KG, you just tell me what the quote is and I'll hit it. I don't care what's going around, going on around me. Uh, you just, you just tell me what the number is and, and, I, and I'll go hit it. And that's the kind of mentality that I, that I need. Uh, and that's an extreme example. I mean, this guy, you know, indexes high for the ability to deal with stuff like that, but, but that's the non-negotiable stuff, Mike, that I would say that we are, we are dealing with. Got it. Got it. So coachability and willingness to change. How do you balance out? We know some of the, you know, best sales people, the top performers out there can tend to have a bit of uh, that rogue streak in them. And to some extent, that's good. If it's too much of that, it can be a challenge. How do you balance that out when you're looking at those traits that are non-negotiable versus the things that can make people good, but can also be a challenge as a sales leader? Well, yeah. In fact, I I've talked to many people about this and taught my sales leaders about this. I, I view those scenarios in, in quadrants, okay? So you can imagine in your upper right quadrant, I'm dealing with a salesperson who follows the playbook and is amenable to change and is always and consistently hitting their, uh, hitting their, their quotas. They're in that you know, upper right quadrant. Um, these are these are your your Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts of the of the sales organization. These are potential future leaders. These are the examples by which uh, by which your um, I, you know I want every salesperson to look at that person. Look at Jane. Jane not only follows the playbook, but she's also consistently hitting quotas. That's that that is be like Jane. Okay. Then uh, again, let's talk about the, that lower axis or that horizontal axis being following the playbook. You might have somebody who is following the playbook. Now they're in the bottom right quadrant. They're following the playbook, but they're actually having a hard time hitting their, uh, hitting their quotas. Um, that, that is somebody that we'll work with for a defined period of time, Mike. Uh, they're working hard. They're, they're doing what we're asking them to do. And sometimes those people work out really well for us, and sometimes they sometimes they don't. But these are people that you're that is worth investing in. You know, they're they're doing their upfront contracts, they're setting expectation, they're doing good qualification, they're finding out what the pain points are, but they're still having challenges. I'm going to work with them for for a while, a defined period of time, not forever, but a defined period of time. And of course, now if you go into the bottom left-hand quadrant, Mike, you're dealing with people that aren't following the playbook and aren't hitting their goals. Yeah. You know, their quotas, you know that that's a deadly that's a deadly area. Okay, that's a real deadly area, and we have zero I have zero tolerance for people like that. So you're not doing well, and you're not doing what we're asking you to do. Maybe this isn't for you, and we will get rid of those people very very quickly. But then there's these rogues that you're talking about. The rogues fit into the upper left-hand quadrant. They're hitting their quota consistently, but they're not following the playbooks on a consistent basis. I call those the eagles. You said rogue. I call them the eagles. You let those, those eagles, they spread their wings and fly. As long as they're not becoming behavioral problems for your team uh, and, and distracting the other team members, 
you'll you'll tolerate i i will i will tolerate those types of things because they're hitting their you know hitting their numbers but i will be very specific with them in indicating that they are not the examples by which we aim to follow so these people will never be in leadership and i tell them that you will never be in leadership you've got a random process you got your own thing how do you sell ah it depends kg nope that doesn't you know work for me they're just natural um, and as long as they're able to keep, you know, keep hitting their numbers, I'll put them in that quadrant and they're, they're sort of in bubbles of their own, Mike, um, as long as they're able to hit their, their numbers. And so I have tolerance for it, but that does not, that's not the ideal, that's not the ideal situation. You know, the, uh, I think it's the one minute manager or, or no, first break all the rules. There's a book, first break all the rules. You know, everybody should be managed uh, fairly, but not necessarily equally. And so, and so that, that's an example there where I say, great, you know, you're able to hit your number, but you're not really following it. Somehow, some miracle, you're able to hit, you know, hit numbers and I don't understand it. Maybe you don't even either. I have tolerance. And as long as you don't infect the rest of the team with sort of this mantra of like, don't listen to that crud, you know, these, you know, these process and the, what are you talking about? The freaking yellow submarine. I don't care about any of that stuff. <laughs> I still hit my numbers no pain, no sale, forget that, you know, any of that kind of stuff, you know, if I get those kinds of behaviors, Mike, that I will do away with uh, very, very quickly, despite the fact that they are hitting their numbers. I can't tolerate those types of cancers in their environment. So you sit in your room, <laughs> you be good and you hit your numbers. Don't infect the rest of the team. And that, and that's, and that's fine. The moment those those Eagles uh, start <laughs> diving down and, and infecting the rest of the team, that's a problem for me, Mike, when we're, when we're growing. Got it. Got it. Great answer, man. That was almost, I would say scientific, breaking it down into quadrants. So let me ask you this, KG, what is, would you say is the most common mistake that you think other managers make in the selection process? Yeah, I've actually spent a significant amount of time studying the hiring process. And there are several books that I'll state now that are, that will be can be transformative to a, a sales leader's career if, if only they would read these books. Top grading, top grading for sales, and never hire a bad salesperson again. There's many other books uh, on this, but those three books in particular provide a really great foundation. And here are the facts, Mike. Every manager thinks they're good interviewers, <laughs> but, but really only about 60%, uh, 30% of them, sorry, only about 30% of them are really that good. And it's a coin flip at best for most, but yet they all think they're good. I know, I know a good salesperson when, when, I, when I see. And so my answer to your question, what do I see as being big mistakes? There's, there's two. One is at the leadership level, like my level, by not defining specifically what we're looking for in a benchmark against which we hire. Um, tell me, what are the seven characteristics that we need these salespeople? In fact, the way that I think about this, Mike, it sounds like this. If the job, if the job could and would speak to me objectively, what would the job say that it needs to be successful? And then I come up with the seven characteristics or eight characteristics or 11 characteristics that go on the benchmark. I define those benchmarks. So I define what that means. What does coachability mean? What does change management actually mean? What is that definition? And then I come up with three behavioral questions for each of those benchmarks, okay? So failure number one, Mike, is not doing that in the first place. You're winging the interview process. 
I used to be at a company a long, long, long time ago before I went on this quest of my own to interview better. Um, and we would, we would go through the, cri the criteria would be, can they do the job? Do they want to do the job? And are they a good fit for the team? And that was it. That was, that was, the, that was the criteria. Can they do the job? <laughs> can they do the job? Okay, yeah. uh, do they want to do the job? Okay. And, and then are they a good fit for the team? And so we ended up hiring a really nice set of salespeople that I had to fire because <laughs> you know, they certainly wanted to do the job. They thought that they could do the job, but we had no process to really identify if they could do the job. And so we handled a lot of nice people that we had to get rid of. Um, and that was my fault. That was my fault, which is why then I started learning to do this. So number one, the mistake number one is not defining these benchmarks. And mistake number two, I get so passionate about this, Mike. Uh, yeah. and, then, and, then, and then mistake number two is not following the benchmark. I have dealt with this time and time again, because Mike, every manager thinks that they are great at interviewing salespeople. They're great. <laughs> That's a failure on the talent acquisition part for talent acquisition team part for not providing the metrics to understand who is good at hiring success and who is not good at hiring success. That being said, you get these managers when they have a benchmark to follow, they choose not to follow. And they go down the path of asking stupid questions like, which do you prefer? You know, do you prefer winning or hate losing? Or, you know, which you know, stupid questions like that, that <laughs> mean absolutely nothing, but they, but they, you know, they think they're good. And when the stats, and this is like where you just got to look at the data, the hiring success of most sales managers is anywhere between 30 and 50%. The hiring success rate is somewhere between 30 and 50%. Coin flip at best. Coin flip at best. Yet the vast majority, 70, 80, 90% of sales leaders, sales managers, think they're good at interviewing. The data doesn't line up. So, so those two mistakes in summary, two huge mistakes is one, not having a, a benchmark against which you're interviewing to begin with. Okay. And then number two, you have a benchmark, but you don't follow it because you think that your gut instinct and the way that you've done it in the past is successful. It's not. Don't fool yourself. Awesome. Awesome. And given the sheer amount of information we have about the cost of a bad hire and, you know, depending on what you're looking at, that's anywhere from, you know, three to five times an annual salary that <laughs> that bit right there, Kevin, is probably worth millions or, yes. or multiple millions to just about any company out there. It, it literally is. It literally is. Like the average sales team has like eight to 10 salespeople on it. And if you take a base salary of forty-five dollars to $75,000 and apply these hiring failures numbers you know, to them, it, these literally are million dollar problems. And unfortunately, they don't get attacked as real million dollar problems. Uh, and that's, and that, you know, I'm glad that, you know, really at the top of this call, we're mostly talking about the, you know, we're mostly talking about, you know, uh, hiring mistakes, you know, how do we avoid? And this is, you know, before they, you can have great technology, you can have a great product, you can have a, a great sales process, but if you make a mistake in hiring somebody, all that stuff is, is wasted. And that's an opportunity cost as well that goes into that cost of that of that mishire. So it's it's critical to get that uh, to get that right. Absolutely, great, amazing feedback right there. Thank you for getting so candid about your process. So let's let, let's move on to 
you know, to talk about growing. And so if you look at your LinkedIn recommendations, there, there are more than a few people that mention that you're one of the best motivators of people and teams out there. KG, what are the types of things that you do to keep your teams and your people at their best levels of motivation? Yeah, I learned long ago, people can't really be motivated. Wait a second. <laughs> Did I really just say that? Yes, yes. And but but let me but let me clarify. If you can't if you have problems getting out of bed in the morning, if you can't pick up the phone, you know, to make calls and things like that, if you're not already wired to work, if you're not already wired to win, if you're not already wired to be a continual learner, I'm going to have a real hard time getting you to do things that you don't already do. And and Psychologists, I think, call this the uh, adapted state versus the natural state. If your natural state is to really kind of be a bump on the log, well, then that's probably, you know, there's not much I'm going to be able to do to motivate you. And so I hate to do this to you, Mike, but I'm going to go back to this, the interview process. And this is where uh, it's critical for me to make sure that I'm already hiring people that have intrinsic motivation. Mike, tell me about the last sales or business book that you read. Mike, tell me about the last time that you invested in your own continual, you know, education. Um, and those kinds of questions can help uncover where whether somebody or somebody already has, uh, you know, internal motivation. You know, I was uh, interviewing somebody a long time ago who was at Indeed, and. I asked this person about some of the challenges that they were facing and they were telling me about the CRM system being really challenging. I said, well, what did you do about that? I built my own Excel spreadsheet to track this and track that and track that. I can't teach that kind of motivation where you're just going to do that yourself. That's the kinds of things that I look for in the interview process. Now, I take motivated people, Mike, and I put them into a motivating environment. There's, uh, I want to get scientific with you again for a second. So most people or a lot of people have read Daniel Pink's book, Drive. I think it's an amazing book and it helped uh, create a construct for me on what motivating actually looks like. There's three components to that and that's autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And for the, you know, purpose of this conversation, uh, you know, this, this fits very, very well. So then when I bring people on board, I'm painting a picture of where we are going and where their careers are going. So when the minutia of making 70 dials in a day hits them square in the face, this freaking sucks, <laughs> you know, I want them to anchor on why they're doing what they're, what they're, what they're doing. What is the purpose behind this? We're helping your career get to the next level. We're helping you get a promotion. We're helping you pay off, you know, debt. Um, you know, by becoming an expert here and learning underneath me, you're going to have so many opportunities. Just do what I'm asking you to do, which may sound different than some of the other things and your peers are telling you, but most of them suck. So <laughs> listen to me and, uh, and listen to me and listen to my leadership and listen to your manager and, and your, your boss. And you will see that success and that will pay you dividends over the future. And in fact, I do this onboarding presentation to every single one of my sales teams. And, uh, and I end up with, and I talk about what's the sales mission. I, I paint this picture. Why are we here? Why are we doing what we're doing? How do you fit? And this is all part of autonomy, mastery, and purpose. I'm trying to paint a picture uh, why this individual 
quota carrying salesperson, Mike, is making their 70 dials a day. And what does that mean to the business and how they are actually contributing, not just a cog in the wheel, how they're contributing uh, and, and how that is going to give them some sort of level of purpose. And this mastery, the mastery of getting really good at their craft, they're going to be valuable. And, and I'm not going to be, you know, hammering you for this. Okay. Granted there's standards. Okay. You've got to do this and you've got to do this. There's standards, but I'm not going to create this environment where you don't have like autonomy to like try new things and bring up ideas. So coupling those things together, but I get to the last slide of my presentation. And I say, great, tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up and you're going to be like, I'm so excited about, you know, this sales mission. And I go, that's a bunch of baloney. You're not <laughs> going to care about any of that stuff. And, and I know that because you're going to be focused on this house that you want to buy and the money you need to, to save for your down payment and the student loans you've got to pay off and, uh, and, and a whole bunch of other things and, and your credit card debt and paying for that trip to Bali that you're dying to go for. Um, and, you know, what am I doing with my life? You know, all these kinds of things. Those are the things that you're really caring about. And I said, the real mission here, I don't expect you to really care too much about, you know, uh, this company that we're at right now. But let's talk about the real mission. The real mission is the one day, Mike, you're going to walk up to me pre-COVID. You're going to walk up to me and you're going to say, <laughs> KG, I have got the opportunity of a lifetime that I can't turn down. It's a title that is better than I've got now. And it's what I wanted. It's base salary that is way bigger than I've got right now. Total comp. I get to build. I get to do all these things. And my career is going in the right direction. And Mike, you know what my response to that is? Pre-COVID, come on in. Give me a hug, man. I'm so proud of you. I'm so happy for you that, that you're moving on and going on to great things. And of course, most people go, are you kidding me? <laughs> the sales leader just said he's going to be happy and hug me when I leave. And I said, well, yeah, because that's the kind of thing that I'm trying to create for you. I'm trying to create an environment. You come here and you become a master. You become an expert in what we're doing here. You help our company grow and you are able to tell a great story moving forward and you will get paid for that and you will get a bigger title for that and you will get lots of stock options for that. And that's going to aid your career for the rest of your life. Mike, people are ready to run through walls when we have those kinds of conversations. But to be clear, I don't sit there and say, what kind of contest can we run? Boy, <laughs> let's, let, let's really motivate our salespeople. No, I look to hire motivated salespeople already, which is hard, and put them into a motivating environment. That's my job is to hire motivated people and put them into a motivating environment. My job is not to kick your ass out of bed and get you to like, Mike, Mike, hey, Mike, have you started making <laughs> calls yet? Mike, have you made your 70 dials yet today? That's not good for anybody. And I, I have no tolerance and I have no, I have no probability of success in motivating people that aren't already motivated. Does that make sense? That makes all the sense in the world. And KG, what an abundance mindset to be able to have, really think about it in those terms. That's phenomenal. Sweet. So let's talk about now fix, because like you said, you can bring great people on. Sometimes you end up inheriting people that maybe just aren't right for the, the situation, the position. So how do you go about identifying some key sales issues that a business might be challenged with? Yeah. So I don't know who said this, but, you know, seek to understand, then be understood. Okay. Um, and I, what I have found, and this is extremely tactical, but incredibly important, 
you have got to, as a sales leader, sorry, let me not use the collective you, but sales leaders, <laughs> sales leaders that are taking over teams or running teams should on a regular basis conduct what I call skip level checks. Uh, I, I, think they're, I think you can Google that. Maybe you can, maybe I call them skip level checks. What this means is instead of getting all my data funneled and distilled through leadership, uh, so a, a individual contributors role, goods and bads up through sales managers that roll it up through directors that roll it up to VPs. And then I hear this distilled version of what it is. Um, I take the opportunity to go right to the source. So I'm going to go right to the source. And I, you know, uh, for those that don't know this, like I graduated with a degree in architecture, started with a degree in aerospace engineering. So I have a very systems mindset to things and a very methodical way of thinking about things, which is odd for sales leaders most of the time. And, uh, and so I will have a, an Excel spreadsheet. My friends always make fun of me. I got an Excel spreadsheet for everything. I'll have an Excel spreadsheet with a defined set of questions that I'm going to ask every single person. And I'm going to do these skip level checks. Mike, this is as the team scales, these are incredibly time consuming, but they're also incredibly valuable because then I can really start to see patterns of problems, both in the, the people, the process, the technology. I'll give you an example. At one of my last companies, we realized that, uh, I realized that the problem with our video conferencing solution was acute. Like it was a real problem because consistently after doing these skip level checks, that, you know, when I just ask a question, tell me what some of the problems are, tell me what the goods are, tell me what the bads are. And then the bads consistently brought up this tech, you know, this technology problem that was getting in our way, yet I wasn't fully aware of how big the problem really was when it got distilled from the rep to the manager, to the director, to the VP, then to me. Uh, and I, I was like, my God, this thing keeps coming up consistently. We've got to deal with that. But I wouldn't really know that if I wasn't doing those skip level checks myself. And so I highly recommend, so like I said, seek to understand before you're seeking to under to, to be understood. Go to the source and learn and, and, and just ask questions to understand what's, what's going on. And of course, this is going to sound so damn trite. Go find the data. Go find the data someplace. Again, everyone's on this is going to nod their head, of course, <laughs> of course. But like, go question the data. Is that data right? You know, one of my best sales leaders, Mike, I considered him also to be the best QA person on the planet because he would look at a dashboard, question the, the validity of the data. And sure enough, he'd go find problems with the way that the data was being presented, which would then create new insights for us. And so, you know, my job is to you know take a look at the data, but also question the data, especially the good news. I got a chart that's going up into the right, spiking up into the right. Why? I'm not going to celebrate that until I validate that it's true. And that's a really shitty way of looking at the world <laughs> sometimes. Okay. But, but questioning the good news is a really good habit to get into uh, to, to validate the data. Um, so see, you know, skip level checks with your sale, go right to the salesperson and under and understand and do that on a regular basis. Uh, that's hard as you scale and get to, you know, 50, 100, several hundred people. But uh, and you, there's ways to you know get around that. But that's that's the only way that you're really going. That I have found that I can really understand problems and then fix those problems. Interesting. Inter and that sounds very maybe counterintuitive to what traditional thinking says. But 
makes a ton of sense, makes a ton of sense. So, and then let me ask you, you know, as you look at the process and you look at issues on the individual sales manager beneath you that are reporting up to you or the individual sales rep and you see issues, what is your process for coaching those folks? Yeah. So you're saying I've then skipped past my leadership to talk to the individual contributors. I now have identified problems with the sales managers in between potentially through those. How do I handle that? You're saying? Sure. What is, yeah. And just imagine it, you know, if you were at a new company and you had direct, you know, salespeople reporting directly to you or you were where you are now and you're a VP and you have directors reporting to you and you identify some gaps in performance or ability, what is your process for coaching? How do you identify issues and how do you coach those issues? Again, you're, you're, you're talking about the individual coaching, the individual contributors. First of all, being blunt, I've learned, unfortunately, you don't get anything as a salesperson, sales leader, sorry, as a sales leader, sales manager, you get nothing by being nice or beating around the beating around the bush. And it's critically important. In fact, mechanically, Mike, mechanically, uh, my, and my sales managers and sales reps, (laughs) they they will tell you that this is, it sounds like a joke, but I do it. Uh, I use the phrases and the words does not meet expectations, meets expectations and exceeds expectations. I use that. I use those words because they mean something. Everyone knows you do not meet my expectations. Um, And that is, uh, and that's important, but I cannot have those. This is important in the coaching, Mike. Um, Actually, let me draw an analogy. It's football season. So forgive me for a second. If I'm, if I'm the coach of the San Francisco 49ers and I draw up a play. My expectation when we run that play is that the players are going to run in the direction that they're designed to go. That sounds obvious. Okay. That sounds obvious, but that becomes an expectation. We're running the, you know, the play. When a member of that football team does not follow the play, what am I supposed to do? I need to go back to the expectations and then explain to them that they don't meet those expectations. So, you know, you know, you may be familiar with the Sandler selling system, Mike. Uh, and we talked a little about bit, just a little bit. I've heard yeah. of it. That's right. And you may have heard the phrase, no, no mutual mystification, right? Ah, I love it. Critical, right? Well, same thing here. So if a sales rep doesn't know what the expectations are, I can't say that they don't meet my expectations or they exceed my expectations unless they know what those expectations are. So a critical component to coaching, just like running and managing a football team, you run the play. We're running play number two. Play number two means it's this, this, and this, and the running back does this and blocks and th- this kind of thing. When the running back doesn't block, I then have to go back to my expectations. Do you know what play number two is? Yes. Do you know what you're supposed to do with play number two? Yes, I'm supposed to block. You didn't do that. Is that correct? Yes, I didn't do that. That does not meet my expectations. Moving forward, my expectation is that you're going to be blocking when we run play number two. So so in the coaching process, it's incredibly important to make sure that your expectations are crystal clear. This is where coaching scorecards come into play, what good looks like. My expectation, Mike, is that when you open up a call, you're going to use an upfront contract. And when you don't use that upfront contract, that does not meet my expectations. My expectation is that you're going to go through the pain funnel. And if you don't do that, 
that does not meet my expectations. So now we, since we've set expectations, we can have some, these really good, blunt and productive coaching conversations when the expectations are made, uh, are made clear. Um, does that make sense? That makes a hundred percent sense. It sounds, I know you're using some Sandler terminology and they're glad to hear that, that you're a fan. So having the right expectations, no mutual mystification, agreeing in advance about what is expected of each, each person. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that's exactly right. Now, of course, if I continue to state what my expectations are and a rep continues to fall below those expectations, there's only one way to go. There's, there's only one way to go, and that's not the, not a, not a good a good way, uh, not a good good way there. Uh, and th- and those are those are challenging, but that's 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 the kind of stuff that a good a good coach has to do. You're the running back. We run play number two. You just refuse to block when you're supposed to. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, I, I'm going to put somebody else in. So that 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 that's a, a critical, obviously. Perfect. So, Kevin. All amazing information, very helpful. I think that's a lot of value you've provided for folks out there. Let me ask you, KG, what drives you? How do you motivate yourself to continue to perform at such a high level? Uh, I, I always get so embarrassed about this, this question because there's a little bit of fear and there's a little bit of greed at all at the same time. Um, I, I'm fearful always that there is somebody who is going to come up and take take my job? Uh, if I don't prove, if I don't prove every day that I belong in the seat, that I don't that I belong in the seat. If I don't prove every day that I belong in the seat, that somebody else is going to come along and they're going to be better looking, they're going to be younger, they're going to be you know say different things and better things. Um, and even though the charts go up into the right, I still need to go. Great, but that was yesterday. Today, what am I doing to make things make things better? So that so that fear, Mike, uh, sounds insane, by the way. But it's like it's that fear. <laughs> it's that fear that that drives me to continue to change, continue to grow, continue to read books and listen to podcasts on how to how to get better in this area and how to get better in that area and, and try different things. And most of the books I read, you know, three percent is what I take out of it. Ninety seven percent is just sort of fluff and just won't fit into the environment that I'm that I'm, you know, coaching in or leading in at that particular time. But that fear component is, uh, you know, really drives me to continue to, to, to be better. And again, this is, you know, my wife will say it's sometimes <laughs> difficult to live with me because I'm constantly like, yes, but we, yeah, we hit numbers last, last month, but man, I'm not feeling so good this month. I need to do something, you know, different this month. Like we crushed it last month. That's fine. What have you done for me lately? And I sort of have that mentality in mind. So that's the fear component. The greed component uh, is all about net worth. Mike, I'm sorry to say, but some point in time, I'd like to retire. <laughs> so, and oh, I'd like to, and, and, yeah, and I'd like yeah, to. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't ever see you retiring. <laughs> well, not, not in the, uh, you know, sit on the couch with the clicker in my hand. That's for sure. But, uh, but you know, uh, there's this that that greed component drives me to go. Look, I don't want to be working, working in a W two job till I'm 65 years old, for God's sakes. You know, what, what can I do to continue to, you know, accumulate uh, and build up my, my net worth in that, uh, in, in that security. And so, 
Um, and, and it's not just about the money per se, it's about like a, a level of security. And so this fear and greed works very much, you know, in tandem uh, with, with each other. I don't drive nice cars. I, I don't live in Beverly Hills, you know, all that kind of stuff there. But it's that, the, but the fear and the greed, you know, combined really drive me to continue to learn new things and take teams to new levels. Uh, and I have to say, I've been fortunate to work at companies where change was constant, <laughs> change was constant. And so dealing with that change has really sort of, you know, that wheel just moves inside me already to, uh, you know, to do that. And so that constant learning uh, is, is driven by the fear. And then the performance is, is driven by this desire to say, I don't want to retire at 65 or 68, you know, like, let's talk about retiring at 55, you know, like, let's, let, let's, let's really, uh, you know, accumulate. And if I overperform, I can get there quickly or quicker. Sure. And Kevin, I, you said that may sound insane. I, I don't think that sounds insane at all. I think you may be a little bit modest in stating your goals and your ambitions and what drives you, but man, great information. Great to hear your insight. And I know it's, you know, your knowledge, your information, your personal opinion, but it's been hard earned through experience and continuing education and the right mindset. So KG, thank you again for being on here today. It's, I'm sure it's been incredibly valuable for me and hopefully it's incredibly valuable for everybody out there that's listening. And let me just wish you all the best luck at Upkeep. I know it's a rocket ship and I know that you're going to bring that KG magic and help take them to the next level as well. Thank you, Mike. I, I, I appreciate it. You know, we've known each other for years. I'm a big fan of yours. And of course, now, as you know, big fan of Sandler as well. So thanks for the opportunity and thanks for the well wishes. Yeah, you too. And uh, good, good luck with the puppy. <laughs> yeah, I got to go tend to him now. So thanks, Mike. Peace. Thanks for listening. I hope you got as much out of this as I did. To find out more about how we work with companies to help them grow sales more profitably and predictably, please check out gordon.sandler.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.